What we're talking about here is the power of awareness, the power of acceptance, and letting go of the idea that we get rid of anything. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and uh, ha happy Father's Day. If anybody's listening to this uh, anywhere near the day we're recording it on Father's Day in 2022. And um, uh, with me is uh, Patrick Newman, our wonderful producer. And the father among us is uh, Dr. Alan Berger. That's and right. You got, you got you got kids all over the place. I got kids on the West Coast, on the East Coast. <laughs> And I, I'm thinking that's all, but you never know, right? <laughs> that's right. Well, I, I just want to say this. I've not, I've not ever had the opportunity to share my one of my jokes that I've been trying to, to get to take off through the years. I, when I, I often will, will ask women to do this, I'll say, I, I just want, when people ask, do you have kids? And of course, men are our little funny joke that is, is old, not that I know of. I, you know, I just think it would be hilarious if women asked, answered the question that way. You know, not that I know of and just and just give that. That's one of those jokes that you could say it. And just right. that little that's pause right. afterwards where somebody's having to compute that. It's like yeah. it's actually like a Milton Erickson hypnotic induction. You know, yeah. to say that is so is enough. It's confusing. It's a confusion technique. So that you say something that's that confusing for a moment. You actually go into a little trance. That's right. That's right. so. So but uh, um, no, but you have what's how how old is your oldest child? So my oldest is my daughter, Danielle, and mm -hmm. she's 37, 37. And then my youngest is four. That and is a, that is, is on, a range. That's a range. And my youngest <laughs> is on her way to see Blippi. I don't You guys probably don't know about Blippi. I don't know Blippi. You guys don't know Blippi because you'd have to have a four-year-old to know who Blippi is. <laughs> So is that like, is that the new, uh, you know, like the, the Wiggles or Barney's? Is that? Yeah, kind of he's, you can think of him like that. When I, when I was growing up, it was. Uh, Wait, I grew up on Captain Kangaroo. Is that who you're Captain talking about? Captain Kangaroo. That's yeah. Oh, about. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Mr. Green Jeans and, you know, that's Bunny right. Rabbit. And, got uh -huh. That's Captain Kangaroo. This is a version of, this is a, a updated new age version of Captain Kangaroo. Blippi is this. This guy who was, I think, somehow maybe a, uh, had a startup company, an IT guy or engineer, and he decided to do this show for kids. Mm -hmm. And he comes in in this crazy looking costume and he does, he takes kids on all these adventures. And it's kind of like a Sesame Street thing where mm -hmm. he teaches them certain things and they have a lot of fun and he's so goofy and the kids just love him. So now Blippi is being. There's Blippy Live. So they're going to go see Blippy Live in wow. somewhere close to where we live. That's that's beautiful. It's now, like I'm, like I'm imagining there are not going to be many fathers at Blippy. <laughs> it's going to be all the fathers <laughs> that that's part of the Father's Day gift is to take their kid to Blippy without asking a father to go along. <laughs> 
Yeah, that well, that's a good. I think that's a, that's a nice thing, a gift, a gift to give somebody a little relief. It's it's like too often I've known stories of of, of women on Mother's Day who complain that they have to make the Mother's Day lunch. You know, nice it's like it's, it's like that's not the point. Well, in regards to uh, Father's Day, uh, and, and this is maybe kind of roundabout, but going off of what we were dealing with the last couple of weeks with interpersonal conflict, um, <laughs> I have a cousin whose dad if super disagrees with them about politics and they go back and forth. And um, I suppose I, me and my dad go back and forth about the politics. And I think that um, part of having a better relationship with our parents and our fathers, right. Is recognizing or, or like accepting that we're not going to look at the world exactly the same way. And that, hmm. um, you know, that, that sometimes uh, these expectations or these like rules that we place on, our parents can be barriers to us having a really meaningful connection. Right. And, and maybe that's something that there's something for us to dig into with that, with the holiday. Well, that's true, Patrick. I think that you've really touched on, you know, an important thing, you know, as we start applying these principles, these concepts from emotional sobriety, you know, one of the major ones is, is to check our expectations, mm -hmm. right. Is to really, you know, what expectations do we have and are they being unreasonable and are we putting demands on people being a certain way because we think we need them to be that way and have trouble accepting them the way they are so it's it's very good how, do, can you say how that shows up in your life oh with me it's just so stupid and embarrassing like i uh I will, we'll, I'll just do these. Yeah, perfect. I'll just, we'll, we'll be, I'll be on these text threads and sometimes it's one-on-one -on -one and then sometimes with multiple family members. And I, you know, my family's mostly liberals or like conservative liberals. And mm -hmm. so I uh, take it upon myself to radicalize them, you know, via different means, or that's what I'm trying to do anyway. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I know that at the end of the day, it's, there's a lot of vanity in there and there's a lot of like me trying to you know, get even with somebody who it's unclear, but I'm, you know, would like them very much to validate me by agreeing with me. And so, um, yeah, we just kind of go back and forth. And sometimes I get zero engagement. Sometimes I get a lot of engagement and there's, uh, you know, pies are thrown back and forth. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think, yeah, like I, it, what it looks like. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, one time recently we're on our way to a movie and I, I think I, I don't think I yelled, but I was like, it was, a, it was a sonic level just below a yell. And I think I told my dad, like, you are not living in reality. <laughs> I told mm -hmm. him that, but, and then he was the emotional, emotionally sober one in that instance, because he didn't take the bait and he was just like, oh, well, I, I do believe I'm living in reality. And let me uh, break down for you, you know, uh, why I think is, uh, he provided, right some, he, prov he provided some evidence, his evidence of that he was living in reality. Yeah, but I but I and he was living in his reality. Right. Which mm -hmm. is different than yours. I mean, exactly. And so I think that's where. Yeah, that is an example. Uh, of, good catch. Uh, yeah. The emotional sobriety baton being passed back and forth. And we need to both hold it at the same time. That would be really nice. You know, well, let me say this, too. One of the things I want to say is, is that because I'm noticing the questions that we're getting more and more about about what what you know sort of for, for clarification about what we we're talking about with with the language we use for for emotional sobriety are is really is really educating me to the assumptions that I can make sometimes and what I what I realize is that it's important for us to say 
when we when we're talking about expectations, I want people to know that something something I've learned is that when you the first time you ask yourself the question, what expectations do I have? Like if we're, if we're dealing, if we're, we're just focusing on our relationship with parents or like a, with a father today. Kind of assess what 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 unrealistic expectations you have may have been holding him to through the through the through the years or presently. The word expectation may not be the one that gets your attention. It may not feel like an expectation. I mean, because what I've learned from the the Bill Wilson stuff and then what you've done with that is the way we know there's an unrealistic expectation is because of our, because we detect our distress. You know, when I am distressed, I ask the question, what unrealistic expectations might I have? But it's like, I don't feel, I don't, I, I'm not immediately aware of an expectation. I'm just aware of the fact that I'm unhappy yeah. or that I'm disappointed. And so you don't, I don't think we go in ne- immediately to what the unrealistic expectation is. Does that make sense? No, I, you're saying it registers as is first some kind of a disturbance, right? Hurt. Yeah, there's a pain. There's a, something that hurts. Yeah, something hurts here. That's right. And look, that's I think one of the corollaries of what we're talking about is having a different relationship to our feelings, right? Is to mm-hmm. look at our feelings more as a, you know, signaling device almost like that. That's giving us information that we need to unpack. Right, I mean, right. I mean, that's that's such a big piece of this, Alan. I'm, 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 I'm repeating this because I think I mean, that's one of the things at the beginning of going through this when we were first going through on, on Thursday night uh, meeting on the 12 steps through through uh, the lens of emotional sobriety. When I feel distress, when I feel emotional distress. It's not see if, hey, check and see if you might have some unrealistic expectations. It's the technique here is actually very specific. What, what unrealistic expectations am I having? I promise they're there, you know, and, and, and very often they may be, they may be something as, as simple and as dissatisfying to us sometimes as, as you know, the world's not going to do what I want it to do. This person is not, you know, going to be, or what you just said a minute ago about when you're talking about uh, uh, Patrick example is no, your dad and you have different realities. So, so in fact, he's not living, you know, because the lesson for Patrick, if we were really looking at that specifically like that, it would be the, your statement, you're not living in reality is true. If in fact it is, you're saying you're not living in my reality. That's right. That's right. It's like you're, you know, and, and, and but the other thing is, what's the expectation if we dive into it deeper? I need my dad to have the same perception of reality as I do in order for me to be okay. You have to finish that out. It's like whatever it is, I need, I need my wife to do this in order for me to be okay. I need the world to do this in order to be okay. It's, it's like it's that's. I mean, that's the biggest challenge for all of us, which is basically. No, we need to be able to, even when nothing goes our way, find out how, how do we, how can we be okay? That resonates. That's a challenge. That's a big one. When nothing lines up for me, you know, because that's something that our whole victim minded society has ingrained in us. And we do double duty with this. We, I have no problem saying that what happened to you sucks. Some, something has happened. It's like, you know, we do this all the time. It's like, I want people to say, we're not saying don't feel bad about that. It's like, like no, if that's, there are a lot of things that have a lot of things that happen to us that are completely outside of our control, you know, and it sucks. You know, what, what, what emotional sobriety is teaching, if I'm getting it, if I'm getting it correctly, is that does not, nec- that does not have to mean that I'm not all right.
I can still be okay. And now we got to define okay, which is, but for me, a lot of times it's, it's that I'm, that I'm still, I'm still myself. I'm still uh, connected to my value system and I'm still, uh, I'm still learning. What I'm hearing is that it would be healthy and helpful in many instances to let go of that fixation that those we care about, and in this case, our fathers, <laughs> I see the mm-hmm. way, world the way we do live mm-hmm. in our reality. Um, and we can be, we, we can become more emotionally balanced and by virtue of that, have a deeper connection with them by not fixating on that. Well, it is fits this. Yes. And this fits into this thing we've been talking about the the last couple of times where we got on the subject of, we were on the subject of relationship and our, in our long-term relationships. When somebody says, what's the secret to your marriage with a happy marriage? But one of, one of the most important, it's not a secret, but one of the most important principles is to, that I have learned that Didi does, I, I, Didi does not have to change at all for me to be okay and for me to love her. Yeah. Like, not at all. Now, I, that, that, does that mean, oh, is there things that you want to have conversations with? I wish you would do this or that. Like, no, I can, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of, we talk about demands and preferences. It's like, no, there's a lot of things I, we can talk about. But the idea is, it is freedom to realize this, per, I don't need this person to change. Now, it doesn't mean they won't change because people, you know, well, what, I, what I've learned from Roger Andes is, is, you know, you, you, you know, it, well, I, actually, I learned it from him, but I realized it's in my book, Simple Truth, which is each day practice accepting exactly who you are and you will never stop changing. I think we covered that one time in one of the meetings is you, you, you pointed out that in the book, it's like you, you practice acceptance and you keep changing. You keep, because basically what you're doing is you're, is you're, is you're letting, you're letting the roadblocks go. We don't need situations to change. We don't need people to change. You know, I notice um, I notice that I do a lot of trying to get people to live in my world rather than live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their world. But, By yeah. the way, I think that I think probably we can divide that into two. There are people who do there are people who do that and acknowledge it, and people who who do that and don't acknowledge it. I think I think it's a very human nature thing to do. Is is to you know it's, it's for us to make those assumptions. I don't you know I don't think it's it, you know in and of itself. I don't think the idea of expecting other people to think like we do or or you know I think it's our na- one of the things I say to people a lot is. You know, beware, beware of times when you're using yourself as the standard of measure, because that's that's when we get outraged. It's like if, you know, if, if Alan, if Alan, if Alan does something that I don't, you know, that upsets me and I'm saying, I can't believe you did that. It's like, what am I saying? What I'm saying is, if I were in that situation, I wouldn't do that. Right. That's right. OK. Yeah. It's like it's like I'm using myself as the standard of measure. Well, it's like, OK, well, that's one way to measure it. But I, if I'm going to do that, I need to acknowledge that's what it is. Then then what I'm being honest about is I'm upset. I'm upset that Alan is not more like me, you know, instead of, you okay. know, you're backing into that in a great way, Tom, isn't it? That 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 causes so much of our struggle. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, every time I I struggle with, you know, let's say Jess or somebody else in my life. Mm-hmm. It just comes back to they're not doing it the way I want them to do it. Mm-hmm. And and rarely can we just declare that. And there yeah. is a freedom. See, that is the thing that, that I, I hope that everybody out there is hearing, that the way to get to freedom is not to jump over that step, but you got to right. own it to change it. Like Tom said, if I accept I'm doing that, then I've got another possibility of not doing it. But until I look at it and own it, I can't do anything about it. 
you know, I just get stuck and continue to repeat the same thing. What we're talking about here is the power of awareness, the power of acceptance, and letting go of the idea that we get rid of anything. I want to back up just for a second, because you, because I've heard you say it this way before. You said, if I really look honestly at it, what I'm looking at is I'm upset because they're not doing it the way I want them to do it. But I think there's, I think there's even more of a, there's something even more subtle about that, where, where we may not even be thinking of it in those terms as much as when, when I point out that we're using ourselves as the standard of measure, is we are making the mistake of, of, of assuming that, that the, the value, the value system, the, you know, in our reality is, is a generalized value system. We're not having a thought that says, I want this person to do it a certain way, as much as we're being, we're being disturbed and upset or hurt by the fact they're not doing it the way we would do it if we were in that situation. And so it, right. uh, to me, it, it helps to shine the light on that and realize it's like, like, cause, cause a lot of times people can let go of that when they can realize that means it's the only way to respond. And when I think of my dad, you know, I, um, the story that I always come back to in my head is when I was struggling with math in high school before he, you know, before he went out to his big architectural firm job, he would wake up like a full two hours early. He would read my chapter of my math you know, whatever math studies I was doing, he would read it like speed, read it. And then he would wake me, make me get up my lazy ass and Mm -hmm. sit there with me and go over my homework. And basically every day he would help me just so that I could do well in the classes I was loath to do well at. So I can Mm -hmm. get into the college that I wanted to get into. And, you know, I mean, that was the kind of dad he was taking that Mm -hmm. extra time and sitting with me and doing some really boring grunt work that I'm sure was the last thing he wanted to do on that morning where he already had to pull a pretty long shift. And, you know, that's to me is like so far eclipses, whatever BS. But it may not have been the last thing he wanted to do, Patrick. See that, that might be an old way of thinking about it. He probably was doing it because he loved you and wanted to support you. And that it gave him a lot to be able to be the dad he wanted to be with you. So it wasn't that it was, a I love that. I love that. The, the, the dad among us today is the one yeah. speaking that. That's that's oh, a really see, that's an interesting perspective that speaks to what we're talking about. It's like, well, it's, don't assume the other person perceives the world the way you do. That's yeah. right. It's that, you know, this this Dr. Miller calls it our paranoia is we just mm-hmm. see bad intentions in people. Right. It's mm-hmm. like we don't see we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, mm-hmm. my hunch was your dad enjoyed doing that because he's contributing to his son's development and to his to becoming the the you know happy and successful in life there's mm-hmm. no greater reward for a father mm-hmm. than to contribute to his son's well-being i will play the part of the middle 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 ground guy and so we have it's the it, it was really important to your father because he loved you so much and the other is the last thing he wanted to do it was somebody it was probably somewhere in between there maybe <laughs> But it's, it's not on, you know, it's, it's that thing about can we start to give people, even if what they're doing is harmful, you know, Tom, I've already heard, I've, I've often heard you say, look for the positive intention in the person's behavior. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just look for that positive intention, you know, that it's always there. It may be hidden, right. it may be 
um, it may be that this is the only way the person knows how to express their concern mm -hmm. and their love. Well, it may, be, and it may be, it may be, it may be erroneous. We don't get to control what somebody else's intent is. And if it, 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 you're right, one of the harder things to accept, I think sometimes is if somebody is, is, is doing something that is disturbing to us and hurt, hurtful to us, that there's a positive intent and that's not about to get, let them off the hook, but it is about trying to get an awareness. And I think this is a lot about what emotional sobriety is, is to have an acceptance of, of more and more of the whole, the big picture, the whole picture. And the, uh, and it, usually that's more complicated than our first simple version of it. Good, bad, right, wrong, you know, black, white. What's that Mr. Rogers quote? It's anything that's mentionable is tolerable. Something like that. Right. Well, I've never so heard that. No, that's a kind that. of another way to say name it to claim it. Right. Is mm -hmm. that like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we're not, um, we're not trying to forgive monstrous acts, but by, understanding them or finding that positive motive right is a way of metabolizing them in a healthier way well that's a, that's a really and when you said that what i thought was what i realized is is wow that that challenges me i'll say this on myself that challenges me to say that okay so what you're what that sentence tells me is i need you know if i if i look more carefully if i become more aware and more open-minded uh, when I'm looking at monstrous acts, what I'm going to find is that monstrous acts are not always coming from monsters. That's a tough one. But it's it is hard, but it's look, important. There, there, are, there are monsters out there. We don't want to deny that, right? Right, Even right. Peck wrote that book, People of the Lie. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you, when you look at their lives, and this doesn't excuse what they're doing, right. it just makes it understandable. There was this great show on i think it was netflix called mind hunters mm -hmm. and it, it was adapted from the experience the fbi had when they started their behavioral science unit mm -hmm. and what they wanted to do was they wanted to try to understand the what was going on in the mind of serial killers because they wanted to be able to start to profile that. So when it happened, that they would be able to narrow their search down and look for a certain kind of person who mm -hmm. would have a propensity to, to behave like that, right? To do these mm -hmm. heinous acts. And it's a story about these two guys in the beginning of this, working with a psychologist, going out and interviewing a lot of these serial killers. And it was fascinating. I mean, I, you know, as a psychologist, I fell in love mm -hmm. with it because mm -hmm. it's, you know, right up my alley and try to understand this. And I'll tell you, man, when you start looking into their past, they were incredibly traumatized. Mm -hmm. They were incredibly traumatized. And that all of their acting out was in some way dealing with that trauma, which and it was a terrible way to deal with it, but it was informed by their trauma. Mm -hmm. And you could see it in every one of the cases. And then they started to define it. It was really interesting because they went from what they called the disorganized to the organized serial killer. The organized serial killer was a person that, that it was very, very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. They would see the person, they would identify the victim, they would make a plan. The other person would be like they were out on a date with someone and let's say the gal they were dating would offend them in some way. Mm -hmm. And then it was very disorganized. They would respond to that hurt, right? To that narcissistic injury, that injury to their self-esteem. Fascinating stuff. But, you know, it just goes to this stuff is that, look, you know, all our behavior, you know, is, is you know, we come to it legitimately.
We come mm-hmm. to it as a result of the experiences we've had in our life, the culture we live in, and all this other stuff. Doesn't excuse it, but it does help us also to understand, you know, our when we're wrong and mm-hmm. when we're behaving in a way that we don't feel good about, right? And to have some compassion towards ourselves to deal with these things. Yeah. It's hard to change something if you're hating yourself for it. Right. right. And and if you and if you're think see this is yeah and if you're if you are thinking if you're thinking that there's well I, I mean this may be a strange way to put it but it's like if you're if you're thinking that one of the options one of the one of the possible answers to your question of why am I this way uh is that you're some kind of freak of nature it's like the answer to that is no it's it's I mean I think you know one of the things that that uh you and I've said before, Alan, with this is we, you know, we, we agree that we spend more time in therapy helping people see how they're not crazy by a long shot. And, you know, and, and that's what you're describing, because what, you know, what makes what makes our job doable for me is that when I meet somebody, it's like like I know already I, I do. There are some assumptions that I actually do make and I and I will kind of stand behind those assumptions. One of them is this person makes sense. You know, and so so that when when they're describing something that they're saying, I don't understand why I'm this way or, or and even if I don't understand it, when they describe it, it doesn't make sense The I don't I don't begin to, to to question that particular assumption and think it doesn't make sense. I think I don't I haven't figured out how it makes sense yet. And, and that's where that problem solving and that's what we try to teach our clients as well is, you know, we really we really try to equip our clients with 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 these uh, with, with these tools, with these questions is like, you know, assume, assume that you make sense, figure out, you know, if you, if you, if, you know, and you don't have to figure every damn thing out about yourself. You don't have to understand all the whys, but sometimes it can really help. First, it helps with self-compassion. Well, of course I'm this way. Yeah. You know, of course, of course I, I tend to, to, you know, step back and blame everybody immediately if something goes wrong, because this is what happened to me. Now, the idea is again, the coolest thing about acceptance is that acceptance just means I get it. That's, that's what it is. It doesn't mean I can't now change it because basically most of the time, I mean, sometimes we do accept things we cannot change at all, but when we're talking about ourselves, we can make changes. Well, I, you know, I wanted to share too one thing that I've had, you know, one of those expectations that you've had, Patrick, mm-hmm. about my father being different. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of you guys, I think both of you know, and mm-hmm. I think probably a lot of our listeners know, I lost my dad very early in my life. Yeah. And he developed, um, he had cancer for many years before we realized it in the family, meaning before it became public information, mm-hmm. in, meaning information he shared with us and his friends and family. Um, he, in fact, he told our family doctor, please don't share this diagnosis with my wife. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to upset her. That was mm-hmm. it back in those days, you yeah. know, in, yeah. in the 50s and 60s, that was very much the traditional way that men were dealing with things. They're going to suffer in silence. They want to protect the family. And, you know, for me, the, I understand that and I see where he was coming from. But for me, it deprived me and the rest of my the family the opportunity to deal with these things right yeah yeah and and you know what i realized in therapy my own therapy when i was dealing with some of the sadness and pain i you know i had over not being able to talk to him about you know his imminent death and what that meant to me and to him and to understand that you know the therapist said to me at one point she says you know you 
the way you talk about it is you imagine if you talked about that with him, that it wouldn't have hurt so much. And at that moment, I realized that was a fantasy. Yeah. Because losing him was going to hurt no matter what, you know, whether it was we talked about it or not, would not have attenuated and mitigated that terrible pain that I went through. I was going to experience that no matter what, but all along I had this fantasy. If that would have happened, then I wouldn't have felt this way. Not Mm -hmm. so. Not so. So that's the other part of this is that a lot of times the thing that I realized is that some of the fantasies I have, if this would have been different, then I wouldn't have felt this way or that way. Not necessarily true. It it would have been a different experience. I'm not saying that 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 there wouldn't be a difference. There may even be some value to that difference, but it wouldn't have changed the loss. No, that's a that's a we cannot you know I, well, the way I put that for people you we cannot we, we cannot compare our 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 life what's happened to some other sort of you know, I guess arbitrary uh, hypothetical timeline that never occurred. So yeah. it's, it's like the idea is you know you know you what you're saying because what you're actually saying if you look at that from a really just kind of almost a philosophical point of view is. You know, when you when you didn't know that you were doing that, but as a kid, and then as you've grown up, you, you you stuck with it until you until you had this awareness. Is the idea you were what you were wishing for was you were wishing for something to be different, and one particular thing to be different is that you could talk to your dad about that. It's like you know the rest of it is all fantasy. Is how would that have affected you? You don't know. We could guess. You know, we might even be able to predict in, in some some situations. We might be right. We might not be right. But the most that's the most important place. It brings us back to that. You know, our our friend humility that says, "Guess what? That would that first of all, she she with that one question, just asking the question. What a beautiful question! It's, it's like question. it just just sears in there and basically shows you immediately is don't forget don't forget that there's no way you could know. Yeah. Yep, that's right. It's so important. Well, we're kind of all over the place today, but I've enjoyed the conversation. And, and some of it's had to do with Father's Day. And I hope you are going to I hope you're going to have a wonderful Father's Day. Well, I'm already having a wonderful Father's Day. <laughs> I, got to, I got to hang out with Cece this morning and uh, get her ready to go to the blippy. I got to brush her hair and put on her mm-hmm. shoes and... <laughs> You know, so that was all wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I talked to her about her excitement. She's going to her little friend Grace from school. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a real it's a real pleasure to watch her growing up and Maddie growing up. Maddie's Maddie's current obsession is she wants one of those Pomeranian puppies. Oh wow. Yeah. Puppies. You mm-hmm. know that I mean, she's just looking at those and she's got it in her mind, man. If I had this, my life would be wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what what she get what she gets instead of that is is Patrick and me. That's right. She gets you because, guys um, uh, because Friday 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 we're in a teacup though. I don't right. we're not. I don't. I do not fit into a teacup. It's like, but but we are looking forward to coming. Well, to listen, see we're you. excited that this coming weekend, a week from today, actually, we will be doing a workshop out at Harmony Hollow Farm. Yep. And um, not too late to sign up, right? If people want to come not too late to sign up, you know, um, information in the show notes. I do mm-hmm. hope people get signed up before Friday, because at that point in time, we turn in the order for the catering. 
because we have a catered lunch at this mm-hmm. workshop and cool. the food has been outstanding. Brad Langenberg, who does all of the, the coordination with Harmony Hollow Farm, mm-hmm. has found a wonderful caterer and she is outstanding. Every I love it makes is just great well so if anybody's listening uh, shares my uh my propensity to procrastinate and you've been thinking about coming to, to join us and you're procrastinating now's the time to do it so so i always say like i'm like toothpaste if you don't squeeze me nothing nothing happens and and so i think i think i think the idea well, here, here's a good squeeze you'll miss good lunch it's like so That's so right. and gets, hey, listen with every workshop i've done with tom people walk away from with an awful lot much more than they showed up with let me put it that oh way. yeah the workshop might be good too it might be <laughs> got a chance of giving you I was, some- I was going with lunch but okay we can well, do that. But lunch is great and that's that's the that's the icing on the cake that's right I mean, this is our first workshop after covid so it's a bit mm-hmm. of a celebration for us we, and we always love to work together and we have we you know and i'm very grateful for that alan we've always had wonderful response from from the workshops and, I, and to me i think it's it's for a lot of reasons but you know we discovered that we kind of have a natural ability to 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 kind of do that together and um uh and I think one of the most important things is it's, it's very much like the podcast in some ways. I always feel like when we're doing a workshop, part of it is just you and I being in a conversation. And I always feel like I learned stuff from you during the workshop. Yeah, and it's likewise. I mean, yeah, likewise. yeah. I think we share things. We, we, that, we you know, you know we're, our, my work has changed as a result of our collaboration. Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. So and this and I'm looking forward to 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 uh, actually actually be in the same room with you, Patrick. Oh, I'm looking forward to it too. Um, uh, I'll see you guys in person next weekend. Uh, we'll be off the podcast, uh, but we'll be doing the workshop and we'll be sure and report back with our findings. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought of something good to say to people who feel that they're freaks of nature, that mm-hmm. nature, nature's freaky. Well, you know what I thought we could do is for the podcast, <laughs> yes. maybe is just spend some time just summarizing some of the stuff we talked about in the workshop is our podcast. I'll make okay. that available to you guys. Cool. Happy Maybe Father's Day. Change your life. Change your myth Cultivate your narrative With whomever you're with Then with glass in hand And children on one knee Bring some stories Bring your stories Back to me It ain't a crime To be a human Never be ashamed To be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me